the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 42, recorded Saturday, May 19th, 2012. How bad does Terra Hertz? Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. This is AV Week. AV. AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. I am your host, Tim Albright. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this week, we are highlighting one of our monthly shows. Uh, the month, month and a half leading up to Infocom 2012 in beautiful downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. We are highlighting or, or kind of putting a spotlight, if you would, on our monthly shows. Uh, we do about seven or eight of them, six of them. I lose track sometimes. And so this week, we are highlighting our DIY show. Uh, DIY stands for Do It Yourself, if you didn't know what it means. And one of the hosts of that show is George Tucker, not exactly a stranger to these parts. George is the engineering coordinator and uh, kind of the, the, the birth father, the brainchild. You're not the brainchild. What would that be? If, the, if DIY was the brainchild, that would make this you, you what? The, the father? The godfather of DIY. I like that. I like it, too. How are you, sir? Get up, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. All right. Give, uh, before we introduce the, the gang, give me kind of a, a synopsis, an elevator pitch for DIY. Okay. What is DIY? DIY basically is, well, it's similar to the DIY channel that you see on TV, but it's really more something called Maker Fair centric. These are the people who want to build things from the ground up. You're not just building, say, a Heath kit. We're building the parts to make the Heath kit, right? Stuff like that. Um, and it's something that I've become fascinated with when my our co-host, Jonathan Danforth, and I, who's also an AV programmer, dealer, for um, an integrator for some professional systems, talked a lot online, surprise, surprise, uh, about this stuff. And one of the first things that he and I connected on was this aesthetic difference between I have a fascination with the aesthetics of steampunk. He actually builds steampunk stuff at yeah. time. And he created something called the Digitrola, which he refurbished this um, – early uh, horn, I can't remember the name of it, one of the guys will correct me in a minute, uh, and then added to that this MP3 player, basically. And it just fascinated me with the whole process. And in our conversations, I started to really understand that something I hadn't done in a while and had lost touch with, which is creating stuff from the ground up, something I just loved doing as a kid. I mentioned the Heath kits earlier, but it was sort of an entry to uh, electronics for me that went away in many ways. Uh, and one of our uh, panelists here, uh, Ben, ben Harris, we'll, we'll talk more about that, creates these education kits. Um, and as we expanded it out and we put out the word to people saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing with the Maker Fair guys. I got so much response. These are people who we do it professionally. Some of us are in the AV industry. Some of us aren't. But we love that fascination with not just using tools, but making tools to make things. I mean, this is just, you know, it really is an ignited fire of learning about the processes 
and having that excitement about really making something, not just purchasing it off of a shelf. You know, anyone can purchase a computer and use a drag and drop programming, but when you really want to get into the why it does it, this is the shelf for you. And this is what we talk about. Uh, past shows, we've done things from guys who create their own instruments. Some of them were uh, instrument makers by training in certain ways. Others are just taking it up as a, as a, as a hobby because it fascinates them. Uh, we talked about, as I said earlier, Ben Harris and his, and his education kits. We have shows coming up that are going to talk with people who do arms and armor, uh, not just the people That's who cool. do it for the <laughs> Renaissance. Yeah, right, the Renaissance <laughs> Fair, but people who um, – friends of mine who actually work up like Saugerties, who make the jewelry, who make the swords, who are really into that stuff. We have one coming up very shortly about home automation and home theater guys who write books about how to do it, uh, about people who've like done entire homes uh, based out of uh, Arduino systems. We are going to do one on record labels, the small independent DIY record labels with people like, say, the Big Takeover magazine and other New York and sort of East Coast-centric uh, labels. We have one on beer and brewing that's going to come up later, Woo-hoo! I think, in August. Woo-hoo! Uh, and I also hope to have one of my friends who went from a home brewer to uh, running something called the Peak Skill Brewery up here in uh, oh, wow. Westchester. Uh, yeah, they're a brew pub. So that's the kind of thing we talk about. It's not just electronics, but it'll be the whole uh, circle the whole of gamut. that. Yeah. Well, excellent. All right. Well, let's let's get the gang in here. First up is Ben Harris. Ben is the chief inventor at Harris Education. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, also with us is RJ. RJ is the operator of DIYLightAnimation.com. Mm, thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Uh, someone who I have to bow to as someone much more superior than I, that is Mike Francis. He is a master, <laughs> a master Crestron programmer, folks. No bowing needed. I've been, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars lately, so master has a totally different connotation right now. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I'm introducing my kids to Star Wars. I'm sorry. It, it's about that time for both of them. So uh, I'll tell you a story about that off air with, with my son. So, um, And, of course, Anthony Zadi, our residential AV guy and um, hobbyist ninja. Hola. Hola, stop that. <laughs> Actually, Mike Francis got me started that earlier with the link. Yeah, we'll talk about the link, yeah. This link that, that Francis sent us was all in Spanish, so. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about DIY. We're talking about a couple things, uh, some maker stuff. Also, so I, I mentioned Star Wars, Star Wars and uh, 3D printing. Uh, Aaron Sorkin gets uh, the uh, possibility of ruining Steve Jobs' life. And terahertz wireless uh, broadcast. That just sounds exciting. But first, uh, this winter, this January, uh, Sony came out, and Sony was at CES. And if you don't know what CES is, CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's held every year in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Actually, I don't think it's really downtown. It's it's the Strip, but regardless. Their thing this year, this their their big push was crystal LED. This is our thing. We're not we're we're doing away with bad old junky OLED. OLED is is of the devil. It's it's horrible. It's <laughs> crap. It's nobody ever buy it. And, and now this week they come out <laughs> with the fact that they're coming out with an OLED. Um, <laughs> George, I'll start with you just because we're we, we've talked a lot about Sony over the past year. What the freak are they doing? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love OLED. OLED. I, I'm I'm salivating at the chance to purchase one, uh, either from LG or, or whoever it is this 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 fall. But are are they just saying, "Oh crap, we just <laughs> we just screwed ourselves"? Oh look, there's Panasonic. Let's partner with them. 
Uh, yeah, you know what? I think you're partly right there. That's sort of the market forces showing themselves, partly Sony not quite getting it. Um, and in that latter part, I feel like it's the old Microsoft thing when we went from uh, Windows, uh, was it 3.11 to 2000 or 98, uh, when they said, no, no, none of that existed. For years, they said things didn't exist. There wasn't a problem. No, no, that's never going to happen. And then, of course, there was all these heat feature enhancements that finally came out, admitted all the things that they didn't really want to admit. Mm -hmm. You know, no, 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 no memory overruns. Yes, we fixed memory overruns. But I think that's part of it. If you'll recall on our end of your show, this uh, just uh, just passed there, I call this going to be the year of the OLED, and yes. I think it's going to take a market share. I believe this is true, and this is part of it. The people want it. It's the next big thing that's uh, attainable. You know, 3D, okay, everybody thought it was big. That's kind of cool. But OLED and all of its permutations has a lot more effect, I believe, on how market and products will be designed and presented. And uh, there's, there, I think they finally realized that. And George, do you think that um, economies of scale are going to come, you know, to a reasonable point this year as well? In other words, is it attainable for the everyman? I, I think that, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I didn't phrase it in that very succinctly, but yes, it's exactly how I would, would want to phrase it. It's economy of scale because it's so many things can be impacted uh, by it. From tablet PCs to ebooks to TVs to you know you name it that it's going to carry video, this thing is going to have an effect on it. Well, and not only that, but you've got stuff like you know um, the, the 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 tablets and stuff. I don't know that necessarily that that's this year. Do you? Because they haven't gotten the pitch quite down far enough yet. I think it might be the start of it now. Okay. No, no, it's, no, it's, I mean, no, no it's possible. I mean, here's the thing. Last year, I saw a three pitch OLED. All right, and from like ten, twelve feet away, you couldn't you couldn't tell the separation at all, and so that's that's kind of where I'm going with 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 the tablets. Tablets are awfully awfully close, and so there basically has to be zero pitch at all. Right, right. And pitch, if right. you don't know what pitch is, pitch is the distance between the 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 distance between OLE the little individual lights, and it's usually the number associated with it is millimeters, if I'm not mistaken. So like a ten pitch would have that it would be ten millimeters in between each. Each individual light. So, I, I mean, Tony, do you think it's too expensive at this point? You do. You, do you think it's going to uh, come down? I think it's going to come down price fairly quickly. But is there a, a fear on your part? There is a fear on the larger displays. I don't. I don't picture this going into. Um, I don't. I don't see it going into the residential market yet. I mean, mm. with where the economy's been, yes, we're seeing people are starting to open their wallets again. But uh, I, I'm just yet to have seen anything that. Uh, where the price matches up with existing technologies. And and then let's be honest. I mean, we've got large big box retailers out there doing a disservice to clients to where, you know, Best Buy sells LED TVs there, and they will actually fight you tooth and nail and argue that it's not an LCD. So <laughs> when I have to go back in and explain to clients, no, that's an LED backlit yeah. LCD. Right. And I've got clients telling me, no. You know, so I just think that it's a combination of price and poor marketing and the face of, at least for my world, the residential world, the face of my world is big box. And it's a bunch of zit covered 16 year old kids who borrowed dad's truck to get to work. It, I just don't see it. <laughs> well, and, and to Tony's point, I mean, the 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 LG shown this this winter was 10 grand for 50, 55 inch mm -hmm. OLED. Now. Let's go back a few years. Ten grand is not nearly what a new plasma cost when they came out. I mean, you were looking at twenty and thirty thousand dollars, 
and you're right, you know, guys who had the money were like, oh, shoot, yeah, I'll, I'll get a plasma. I'll be the, the first guy I know that has a plasma. I, I don't know that there's the same cachet with OLED because, you know, everybody has a quote-unquote flat screen of some point, of some sort. And so to say I'm the first guy with with an OLED, I don't know that ten grand is is the right price point. I think Tony's got a you know Anthony's got a point. So I don't know. That's rare. Well, you know, <laughs> I you know I, I like your Linux based brain. So <laughs> I have my moments. You have your moments. Um, let's talk about networking and stuff like that. This uh, I've gotten a couple different press releases, and and we'll talk about a, a product that's sh- that's shipping. Um, it's it's something called AVB, and, and actually, it, it, we're the the AV Nation guys are, are getting uh, not me because I'm not this smart are getting ready to do an actual AVB special with some people. AVB stands for Audio Video Bridging. And the reason I, I bring it up is because basically it's sending audio and video and some other stuff down any sort of network. Um, and it's a bunch of encoders and decoders and some, some standards and stuff. Um, do you guys have a, a experience with AVB? And the, the reason I, I mention this is because there's, there's going to be some classes at Infocom this year. Biamp has begun shipping uh, their base AVB uh system and it's called Tessera. They actually uh, showed it at, at Infocom last year and, and not quite a year later they start shipping it. That's a whole nother issue. But Is this HD based T type of it's 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 a competitor to HD based T. So yes. Uh... So yeah, I mean what I mean what do you guys think about about sending stuff? I mean RJ you're a network guy uh in your nine to five job. I, is this something that's gonna cause issues with networks or um, are you, is this where you're going to throw everything on the VLAN and say, you guys go over there and do your own thing? That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to get off our network. Now, no, actually, I think it's great. I mean, it's like if you think back to Voice over IP, you know, if, if you if you were around and in the industry at that time, it was the same thing. You know, the big thing was, oh, my God, we're, they're going to put audio on the network and we're all going to have all these issues and we're all going to have to deal with this. And, you know, because the technology was something people wanted and needed and it made things easier, um, you know, it's kind of damn the torpedoes, if I can say that. Sure. You know, if, if that's what the consumers want, if that's what your users need, you know, that's our job. We'll make it work, right? Mm-hmm. It's, they, they don't need to worry about that. They tell us this is what I want and we'll make it work. And no, I don't think it'll cause a problem. I mean, we've come become very good at, at, at handling multiple types of information, uh, even high bandwidth stuff. So I don't see it being an issue. I do see it coming in very, very handy because, as you all know, I mean, we're going more and more multimedia in everything we do every day, e- e- even us. I mean, right now, I was just looking at some converters to convert um, – Video over to <clears throat> networking, so that's exactly what I'm. Lo- I'm actually looking at shopping and looking for some equipment to do that right now. So I think it'll be a big hit. So RJ, I have a question actually. Uh, you know, all of us have some kind of handling on our uh, IT, but you, you've, you're the the main guy. Does this drive you towards more uh, pushing for, say, a fiber in-house network, or are you going to stay with copper and you know, we do really require gigabit fiber? I don't think you need gigabit fiber to the desktop. <clears throat> Not yet. No, I don't think too many people think we do. Um, th- th- there was a point in time back where that was just all the rage. I mean, we're, we're going to be fiber the desktop 
by two years from now, and that was, uh, you know, 15 years ago. But <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked the prediction didn't come true. Well, but you have to understand, you know, we had all the money invested in copper everywhere and, and, and no way to get data at large volumes through. But what happened, instead of, instead of redoing everything to fiber, okay, um, somebody said, hey, I'll come up with a better way and I'll move data faster across copper. So, you know, until we get to the point we just can't get data to move faster across copper, mm, I don't see fiber. Now, we do a lot of backbone of fiber. We have a lot of fiber backbones. But as far as to the desktop, uh, fiber is kind of problematic there in, in a couple ways. Uh, you know, users like to <clears throat> like to do dumb things like try to move their computer without unplugging things and, you know, things that fiber don't like so much. But I, I don't think we're there yet. We can put Gigabyte to the desktop on fiber on a copper now. So I don't think even with video we're quite getting there yet as for your average consumer. Mike, you've got uh, you are a master Crestron programmer, and so dealing with stuff like DM is not foreign to you. Is this? Do you see this where uh, things like you know Crestron's DM or Extron's Twisted Pair um, solution? Well, do these guys who have proprietary systems? Do you see them go, moving towards either HD based T or AVB, or do you see them more staying? You know, this is our standard. This is our proprietary system. We're going to stick with this. Well, I, I think a lot of them use the same technology. I mean, AMX is using HD base T for all their digital media uh, type of communication. And I, I think, you know, because of the, the nature of those companies, to be competitive, they, they have to always have some kind of proprietary, you know, section to them. But they're mm -hmm. all basing their technology off of, you know, what's what all these new things that are coming out. I mean, Crestron, I know, took the lead on a lot of the development for, for a lot of that, uh, that stuff. But I, I think, you know, not just with over copper and, you know, I, I think you had to look at wireless as well. Because mm. I think wireless is the big, you know, you see, if you look about five years ago when the first, you know, you really started seeing like wireless video being sent over uh, you know, that, that was like a big thing and it was really expensive. Now you can go out and buy, you know, wireless transmitters and receivers pretty cheap. And I, I think as wireless bandwidth, you know, we keep growing, you know, with our speeds and architecture, I think that is going to be, you know, kind of the, the, the wave. I mean, if you think about it, I, I think I saw an article recently that said, you know, our, our kids and our, our grandkids aren't going to know what a wired house is. They're going to be all, it's just all wireless. Exactly. And cancer rates will go higher. <laughs> there we go. Right. <laughs> hey, we're not talking about that. <laughs> well, and Anthony, you're 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 the resi guy here. Is this something where it makes sense to wire to ho a house for this, or is it where you know what? I've got a TV, I have a, I have a, a Blu-ray player, or whatever you have, all in one room. That's all I care about. I don't need all of this fancy schmancy, whether it's fiber or it's it's copper everywhere. I don't need to encode it and decode it for three hundred feet. No, I, I, I de definitely don't agree with that. I mean, I do a lot of distributed video systems, and while we're generally running everything over copper now and using balance, um, you know, I, I still see that that's reasonable, it's sellable, it's popular, it makes sense. Now, fiber, on the other hand, I, I haven't put it in. I've got no place for it at this point. However, the manufacturer that I use for HDMI matrix switching 
you know, they, they definitely want us to go that route, but 300 feet will go a long ways in a residence. Mm -hmm. So, and fiber's freaking expensive. Fiber's really expensive. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and and, I mean, let's be honest, so is copper, but by comparison, comparison, yeah, you know, it's all that glass, you know, (laughs) that glass gets expensive. You know, I'm yet to have seen ADB in a, in a resi kind of setting. Um, I think it makes sense. I think that, you know, really everything that we touch is going to the network. And it kind of takes me back to, you know, the fights that we're having where for me in the residential space where the face of my industry is still big box, you know, it's kind of that dumbing down of the average consumer where they don't understand why, you know, a $50, $60 router isn't going to be sufficient for them. And it's a fight that I have over and over and over again where everything we push from control to actually distributing these various signals is over the network. Um, It's a fight for me to actually push people into reasonable and, frankly, enterprise-class networks. Yeah, because that's what they need when they're – when they have – here's the thing. When you call Anthony – you need something at that level. You don't. You 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 you've gone beyond the point of going to Best Buy and picking everything up. Is that Correct. is that a fair statement? Absolutely. And it, when when I get when I get resistance there, it ends up being blowback because, yeah. you know, they may call me for the initial sale if they you know if I allowed myself to be bullied and put in a consumer grade network. Well, I'm going to get a lot of calls from that client. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. And they're not going to be happy, and I'm not going to be happy. Um, it's going to be an ongoing relationship of the wrong sort. Yeah. Hmm. It, it, George, one of the things that, that, that Anthony mentioned is the fact that he hasn't seen a lot of ABB. Is that because maybe at, at, as we sit here right now, you know, right here in the middle of May 2012, that most of ABB has been the A part? There hasn't been a lot of people who've jumped on the video part. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on spot there. Plus, you know, we have, as we were discussing here, a large legacy infrastructure of, of, of things that don't really carry it yet, from the routers and switches to, you know, I know it's supposed to be fairly transparent, but come on, we all know that there's probably going to be a need for blocking it on certain ports and all that kind of stuff or certain uh, channels out. Um, you Wait know, till the, the movie theater or movie uh, studios get involved with it too. The next thing you know, <laughs> we're going to have some kind of HDCP, AVB. HD. Oh, oh, no! Don't, don't, don't yet. There, there will be HDCP there somewhere. Yeah, there has to be something in there. I mean, I know this started off with like the Audio Engineering Society and a couple of others trying, and the uh, IEEE trying to come up with a way of distributing audio without that multi-room sync problem. I mean, I mean, that's where our main issue with with sending it over Cat Five or streaming is, right? I mean, if you're doing a distributed audio through a house, the la- the latency that happens on these systems is not good for that. You know, you walk in and it's sort of like switching radio stations that have different uh, the same broadcast but different um, uh, time delays on them, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the main issue there. It's a synchronous issue as well as a packetized packetization easy for me to say um system um but that's i think part of it we have this legacy system and you have to have why did amx and other manufacturers come up with their own uh network media routers and switches for a while i think amx still sells a specific one because they wanted to optimize the delivery of that 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 content so you know so yeah i mean it's a little ways off but i i think it's inevitable because everybody wants it although i take issue with the streaming even though we have a Story about uh, a bigger, wider RF, uh, faster RF Woo-hoo! distribution. You know, I mean, m- my opinion on, on RF has always been that it's the single most convenient methodology ever devised for transmitting data. It is also the, the uh, single least reliable form. 
Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's let's go into that one. We'll 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 come back to that one later. But let's go into that. Uh, NHK, which if you don't know what NHK is, read the book One Q eighty four. That's all over the place. Uh, NHK is is actually the the national broadcaster for for Japan. Uh, they are the Japanese version of the BBC. So let's if that helps people. I hope it does. Uh, but but they did a. I'm gonna I'm going to call it four K over the air. It probably isn't exactly four K, but it's darn close. Um, so you know, George, is that is that you said that RF is not very reliable. So why the heck are they shooting four K over the air just because they can? Well, because it's convenient, right, guys? I mean, what's better than not having to run wires in a house or have to rewire something or I mean, it's just you plug it in, you move it around, you're done. You know, you can go into a house or any any uh, construction site and say it's here, and you're done. Um, simpler, simpler answer: they couldn't afford to run fiber to all those houses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live in the Northeast, especially near New York City. There's fiber everywhere. A lot of it's not used, mind you, but um, it's dark fiber. Yes. It's dark, dark fiber. Fiber. Well, Ben, well, is keep in this... mind too yeah. uh, that that Japan is earthquake prone. So if you run a lot of infrastructure like that and then you have an earthquake, you've just ruined it all and have to start over. <laughs> That's so an excellent can't... point. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think of that. It's very good. Very astute. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's still not that. I mean, look, it can only go uh, – we'll talk about the uh, – I guess we transitioned to this, Tim, the, 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 the terahertz thing. But uh, we did. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a little rugrat running around that I had to – Go ahead and take up. over the show. I don't care. Um, I'm just going to go home. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, <laughs> Love to feed it. My job is done here. Uh, He's pirated it now, man. But it only goes what uh, three hundred, a hundred feet, a hundred meters, three hundred feet. From yeah, the terahertz. Yeah, what George yeah. is talking about is, is somebody actually went and and, and they're they're developing terahertz wireless. And yeah, it only goes you know a hundred feet, uh, three hundred. Hang on, I think it's in yards. No, it's thir- I thought it was thirty feet that they showed. I'm sorry, thirty. Yeah, yeah ten meters. Because oh, I, I knew it was in, in metrics, and that always confuses me. Just and, over thirty feet. Yeah. Now and wait a second, I've got to jump in on that because they're talking about thirty feet, which is. Uh, it's cool but laughable, but we also have to keep in mind that they're showing, as all vendors do, their best-case scenario. Right. So you bring it into the real world, and I would suggest you say 75 to 80% of that maybe. Now, 30 feet just got reduced, and it's kind of funny. 15. It's unusable in my opinion, no matter how sexy it is. <laughs> okay, but it's a step though, isn't it? I mean uh... – Ben, okay, so everything that we do in, in technology it starts with a step. I mean, good Lord, uh, freaking Edison went through how many hundreds of of conductors before he found whatever it was. It was cat gut or something weird um, to become the element in the, in the light bulb. Isn't 30 feet a step? I would think so. Plus, keep in mind, any technology, there's always hype. There's always, wow, we've... we've Discovered the cure for cancer, and then you look, well, apples wow. might make you not have cancer, you know, and, and so you know, probably it's, it's a lot of hype as well. You know, uh, you, the way I look at this, and I got I to say this, you know, you, you, you think of it in two ways. One is that, you know, you think of the Wright brothers, they, they flew their little distance on their first flight, and, and now our, our airliners' wingspans longer than their first flight. So, wow. so we, we see these things. <laughs> go but there's one thing you got to think about when you're thinking about this okay and why is it that it only goes 30 feet let's really say 15 
is because of physics, okay? And, and unless we can break physics, this is a little more challenging than making that first flight much longer. It, it's, you know, there's more challenges to making this go a distance that would be usable. That damn Newton. If it wasn't for him, I, I, I think so many things. Yes. But there are, <laughs> there are areas this would be handy. Think of this. What if we can perfect this and put it into your audio equipment where your TV doesn't have to have an HDMI cable or fiber or anything between it? You set the box on one shelf and the TV across the room, and voila, you, you have enough bandwidth to run your digital TV. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So to RJ's point, Anthony, you, you let's go back to Resi for a second, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got I'll, – I'll even – RJ, I'm, I'm going to kind of steal yours and, and modify it a little bit. So at my house, and that's what I know, so let's let's talk about my house. I have a, a little entertainment center, and it's attached to the to the flat screen and everything, and it's it's within this 15 feet range, right? Okay. So would that not I mean because I've got the I've got like good lord I have too many receivers but that's beside the point. So I've got a, a Blu-ray, I have the cable box, I have an Apple TV, and I have an Xbox all coming up into my into my TV. With this terahertz at 15 feet, all of those suckers should have well within you know that's that's plenty of between 15 feet. So, so is it yeah. is it is it functional then or? Well, I think it could be, but let's let's. You know, look at this a couple of ways. One, I would kiss anyone on the mouth who would allow me to get rid of HDMI. You know, oh, you, you find the person yes. who's going to let me get rid of HDMI. I don't care who it is. I'll kiss him on the mouth. And well, we'll, here he is. We'll, we uh, just showed him. <laughs> but, find his, but, I think his name's other, in the article. You can find it right here. The other but thing I is, won't photo and video of this. Now. Oh, I'll do it. <laughs> you have no idea. I have no shame, Gene. Um, mm. But I want to actually talk about the practicality of this. We're talking about pushing a signal 15 feet at what financial cost? I am yet to find the magical wireless solution that is going to eliminate infrastructure and therefore reduce cost to the consumer. Every time we go with a wireless solution, the actual gear that's running the wireless signal is expensive. Mm -hmm. And if I go, okay, I've got labor added to the quote-unquote tried and true, and I am really uncomfortable using tried and true in relation to HDMI, but uh, low these years later. But if we take labor plus tried and true and the cost of that versus the wireless solution that's supposed to fix that and bring costs <clears throat> down, it I've never I've never seen it actually work. I mean, well, that gear's more expensive. Uh, well, oh, wait a minute. Go ahead. Doesn't it, though? I mean, look, Linksys router, Linksys wireless routers before they were bought by Cisco were fairly expensive five, six years ago. You know, now you can get one for $39. Mm-hmm. And it's not that expensive. I mean, it's the early adapter. But I think it's also the distribution model, too, because you, well, you, yes. you talk about, you know, in the early days, people had one wireless PC. Yeah, and yeah. they spend all that money for that, you know, for that one thing, which I think is what mm-hmm. you're saying for the TV. But nowadays, most devices that you get from a Blu-ray player to, you know, uh, you know, even your your smartphone has wireless built into it. Yeah. Right. So now, you, now your now your distribution cost goes way down if you had to run wires to every single thing in your house. Now you just have one wireless access point that's that's handling all that. Yeah. My only other concern is the um, is that would this would this work, Tim, in a suburban neighborhood? Yes, but we have to think about the density of RF signal as it relates to the type of location you're in. Oh, in sure. Manhattan, we all know this. In Manhattan, or high rises, or penthouse type apartment buildings, even eight hundred two eleven 
whatever flavor you choose, it's pretty dense and you're fighting for space and it's always a diminished efficiency over it because you don't have a wide open area. Even in my, you know, I live in, in Yonkers, which I live in a fairly suburban, suburban area of it. I'm still fighting for space and I know that I have diminished uh, throughput because I'm surrounded by people who are broadcasting at 2.4 gigahertz. But you're missing, you're missing two points that are important to point out, guys. One is, at these frequencies, it's not going to penetrate anything. So your guy that's living <laughs> above you in the apartment doesn't know that's even there, okay? When you get up into this frequency, you know, your breath will stop this signal. So, I mean, you've got to have clear open. Now, that's one problem. But, or positive, if you want to talk about density of signal. But the other thing is, we're talking about, and it's going to be cost, you know, very costly. Well, the thing is, you have to understand the technology. When you get into those frequencies, everything works differently, and all they're using is just a tunnel diode. It's one tiny semiconductor device. That's all there is to it. So it's not an expensive technology. It's a dirt cheap technology in reality. Uh, reality and what ships are two very different answers. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. this is true. But. Always the realist. Jeez Louise. <laughs> you, you should never go to the trade show because your head would explode. <laughs> no, I do the Razzy trade shows, and I let's just say my reputation precedes me. I am a grump, you know? <laughs> oh, good Lord. Here comes Zadi. All right. <laughs> Put your iron panties on. I will give credit where it's due, but I will also call any vendor on their BS. And, you know, we're going to see something like that where with this terahertz, and as has been pointed out, it's technically it's a very cheap thing to implement um it won't ship as such and i would i would call them out on that well yeah and and, and not to give not to give zadi the the worst reputation i'll call people out when they don't ship i mean that's the thing is is you yeah. know to sarah is almost a year away from or a year out from from when they first shipped it there are some things at, at infocom from last year that still haven't shipped you know and so I won't mention any names, but I will say that one of the vendors aren't even going to be there this year. So, all right, you're listening to <laughs> AV Week. Uh, you know what? That could be anybody, guys, so don't you go, you know. You know. Uh, <laughs> with us this week are the guys from DIY, George Tucker, uh, Ben Harris, RJ, uh, Mike Francis, and Anthony Zadi, uh, the, the grumpy old man. Um, uh, real quick, guys, uh, Star Wars and, and Disney are coming out with something. They're not coming out with something. They're pushing they have an initiative, initiative that kind of is in your, your wheelhouse, the whole DIY wheelhouse, and that's 3D printing. Um, I, I know you guys have, have talked about it before on, on the DIY show, but here's something that, you know, this is not some, some guy, you know, showing, hey, you know, I can make, um, you know, I can make a, a printer print itself, but this is two established companies going, okay, um, here's something we want to push. Uh, ben is is the fact that something DIY or maker ish is getting the backing of you know George Lucas and getting the back backing of the mouse. Does that help kind of get it more mainstream, or does it hinder and, and hurt other guys who are not who don't have the pockets of these two uh, come out with something a, a competitive maybe to theirs? Well, I, I think it helps because the three th uh, D printing technology has been around for a while, but it's just now getting cheap enough that individuals can play around with it. And companies, you know, they can do some amazing things giving, giving some focus on it. So having somebody like Disney affirm 
hey, this really is something that we want to be involved in. It's only going to get other companies involved. And, you know, in some ways it'll take it out of the hands of the hobbyists, but in some ways those hobbyists will be the people that get the jobs at the companies to create the rival to Disney. Hmm. George, is this something where you can, you know, you and I can go out and buy our kids, you know, uh, the latest Star, Star Wars, you know, 3D printing thing. And, and what this came about was uh, uh, Disney um, has a Star Wars weekend and you could go there. You had to go to Disney World and get yourself imprinted in the little carbon thing um, that Han Solo was encapsulated in at the end of uh, Empire Strikes Back. So um, does that help you and I be able to go out and, and buy one off the shelf? Eventually, well, I you know I'm going to defer to the rest of the gentlemen here, especially uh, Bennett and and uh, and RJ. Um, I'm excited by the prospect, definitely. Uh, I don't have much experience with it other than when I used to work for a manufacturer who used something similar, but you know, in the sort of you know the, the sort of commercial, corporate, industrial level. Um, I don't think it's going to replace buying stuff off the shelf necessarily as a whole, but I am very excited about projects that my uh, seven-year-old wants me to do everything from if you don't know Beyblades, building a Beyblade arena for him <laughs> wow. or, or, or stuff like that you know just be able to build stuff um but my experience is really limited with that i have to admit all right rj is this is this a, a good step for for the world of 3d printing and the world of you know uh, you know home automation and and, and and not home automation but but you know uh, the whole diy thing I don't think it hurts it in any way. If anything, it it might help because what it might do is it might bring it to the attention of people that don't even realize the technology is out there. Because I can tell you, if you just go start talking to people about 3D printers, most people have never even heard of a 3D printer, have no idea what it is. So this is something that could bring it out to the more mainstream. And then those who... Those who have a little maker in them or a little DIY in them that, that, that hasn't seen that little thing fly by that caught their attention and, and drew them into wanting to do their own thing might see it and say, that's really cool, but you know that's not really what I want. But, hey, that's neat technology. Start Googling it, looking at it. Next thing you know, they're in building a MakerBot or something. So in, in ways, I think it could actually help. Right. And in terms of anybody listening that wants to get uh, doing their own Han Solo and Carbonite with their face on it. Uh, what Disney, I think, used was Autodesk 123D, oh. which is a new uh, software product from Autodesk that they're releasing for non-commercial use. It's free, and they have uh, plugins and apps for iPad and iPod and all those things as well. And it's a really cool technology. What you basically do is take multiple pictures from multiple angles of any object as long as the object is relatively stationary and then it stitches those pictures together into a 3d model that you can then import to a printer and print wow but you can use them for other things too i mean you can create 3d for websites or or you know make a model and then plug that into sketchup or do other things with it as well so pretty cool technology that is pretty cool i think one of the things you're going to see that'll really i believe will happen in the near future I believe someone's going to come up with the technology to use 3D printers to create circuit boards. And when you do... Oh, that's already out there. That's our, they, well, uh, they did something this week I saw. Basically, it, they use uh, conductive thread, and they're just making for through-hole components. And then it basically has little pegs that the components will snap in. It just sort of holds them by friction. So you wire it up by then winding the thread around the, the post, and then you can make circuit boards. And the example they used was an LED flashlight 
where you print you print the circuit, but you also print the body and the battery holder. It's all one monolithic wow. design. Yeah, and when they get to where they can do actual real circuit boards, it, it's going to blow the top off of this as far as a hobby. Because think about it, we've moved we've moved the pro, at least the prototype production of circuit boards for things like we we do on our stuff from having to go to a manufacturer and wait three weeks and, and oh wow I spent two hundred and seventy dollars having these protos made and man I hosed up and now I've got to go back and do it again and uh, it moves it from that to hey I hit a couple buttons and two hours later the circuit board's here and hey I messed up I hit the button again it's fixed and here we go now we've got a good board I, I think it's going to revolutionize the DIY space when it comes to electronics well and the other power to this is the distribution on the internet of the models and and the designs, you know, through Thingiverse and other places, you can basically have a repository and share your designs. Yeah. So, you know, you need a circuit that does so-and-so, you just look one up and download this guy's plans and, oh, I need to modify it a little bit, so you then edit it and change it. But you don't have to start from scratch and reinvent the wheel. And, yeah. and there's a lot of power in that, too. You can ask the guy who made it, well, why did you do this? How does this work? And there's a lot of opportunity to learn new things as well. People that would otherwise be scratching their heads, how do I get started? There's so much groundwork already laid. I, have I think question. education market, too, would be really uh, helpful. You know, sharing that with the students and really showing the technology and what they can build, I think would be a really big push. Well, and I think that you also, while I absolutely agree with that and how that's going to introduce kids to so much new stuff and it's going to help you know, be awesome. I just can't wait to see who's going to um, ruin that. Who is going to make, <laughs> and, and I see that all over education. You know, the software companies go, okay, there's our captive audience. So they're going to come in and profit off of it. And I'm not trying to sound like a commie. That's not my my point. But I think it's yeah, exact. <laughs> I think that's the exact opposite of what was just discussed as far as the sharing and the free and open source aspect that we see within the maker community. As soon as it moves into education, someone comes in, they buy up all the sharing, they buy up the free and open source, they kill it, and they profit off of the kids. And we see it over and over and over again. It was just going to be my question, uh, uh, Anthony. I was about to say, you know, who's this is an open source, but do we have to now start worrying about people infringing on copyrights or trying to copyright, you know, Something that's open source and in the public domain for all of us. The uh, you know the it's a wonderful life scenario. You know, it used to be that anyone could get, it, anyone could broadcast it. Now, of course, it's only uh, NBC on uh, once at once a year, or one day a year. Yeah, uh, that's a concern for me too. My first thought is, I love this, but then if you make a circuit board, or you make a new revolutionary design, or some progressive step that no one else was able to accomplish yet, you know, there's going to be someone jumping in on that and going, this can't be open source anymore. You have to purchase it from me. Yeah, well, and that's where copy left comes in, you know, <laughs> and we don't have really good open source hardware licensing yet. It's being worked on, but that's where we need to see a stronger emphasis on copy left within that space. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might see something like a software lock, you know, the software that's distri distributed, you know, right. that's how they're going to that's how they're going to do it. And they'll put some kind of digital keys in there and. And then next thing you know, their copyright's going to be, you know, who can break the keys on, you know, this software and that software. Yeah, it'll be a 12-year-old. It'll take three days. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't know that I agree because here, here's what I here, – I understand what you're saying, but here's the thing. If you come out with a do-it-yourself open source device that is put out there with – it's open – 
take and build it. Then you have people like me design something and post it up and say, here you go, here's a circuit I've created. Doesn't infringe any patent, it's something new. Make it all you want. Could any educational or anybody come in then and stop that? I guess is my question. Because being that we have the distribution, we have the development and, and, and a way to get it out to the people, how would they stop that? I guess is my question. It's our it's our design, understand. I'm not talking about we're copying their design. That's a whole nother ballgame. I'm talking about we're putting out the do-it-yourself obvious or putting it out for everybody. How does someone stop us from doing that? That that's kind of a, a legal question more than anything because I guess technically if if you design it and your your intention for it is you know free and open you could copyright it quote unquote and then gift it to the to the open source community then because I mean that's that's kind of how Android is I mean Android technically is owned by somebody um, but it's also open source is it not Does anybody know Yes. I was gonna say I thought I thought it was. I I, I think we're having some audio technical. I think we are too. Yeah. So um, I was gonna say yeah, that exactly. you know ask that, Oracle. I, I think we can do that. I don't know. I think we're losing RJ. I think I, we're losing yeah. RJ. We're we're losing the network guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally ironic. Hello, RJ. RJ, why don't you? Why don't you, uh, George? Why don't you hang up on him and, and, and call him back here real quick while we? I will. We step up to the next one because we're gonna we're gonna hit Mister Mister Francis pretty hard on this. Um, <laughs> I, no, it's he, he's our Crestron guy. So and the story's about Crestron. There is a, a story in in CE Pro uh, CE Pro dot com uh, from my buddy Jason Nutt. <laughs> the title says it all. Does Apple want Crestron's iPanel name? Uh, and here's some backstory. The, a couple years ago, I think it was 2010 Cedia, uh, Crestron released an iPanel, and that was the name of the product. And what it was is kind of an overlay uh, for an iPod, uh, an iPad rather. And it gave the iPad hard buttons and let you use um, the iPad as a, a controller for your 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 Crestron control system. And it gave it hard buttons, kind of similar to the, the TPS-6X, if you're familiar with, with that version of, of Crestron's controller. Um, and, and not for nothing, but Crestron has, has, has not catered to it, I don't want to say that, but, but, but they've put a lot of effort into being Apple-friendly, let's say. Um, they were one of the first um, control companies that had an iPad and iPod app. Uh, they've done a lot of work with with getting uh, stuff you know into the the Apple ecosystem. So the iPad made sense, or the the, the iPanel made sense. And according to Jason, he was he was going around and and, and kind of contemplating what what Apple's the, the worst kept secret in the in the tech industry is the fact that Apple's going to come out with an actual physical TV uh, sometime in, in third or fourth quarter. And so he's like, okay, what what are they going to name it? Well, ITV doesn't make any sense because it's already taken, right? Uh, and it's a company that's been around forever. They're not going to give it up. It's, it's, it's over, so they're not going to call it ITV. So he goes, okay, what about iPanel? Because it's more than a TV, right? It's, a, it's an Apple product, so it has to be more than a TV. More than a TV. So iPanel made sense, but Crestron owns iPanel. And lo and behold, you can't find it on Crestron's website anymore. Dun, dun, dun. Really? I didn't notice that. Yeah, well, that's kind of why the article kind of piqued my interest. <laughs> so, Mr. Francis, Mr. Knott would like to know, does Apple want Crestron's iPanel name? Does that make sense? You know, this is a this is a hard topic whenever you get involved with Apple because 
you know, Apple would like to own every every word in the in the English language that has, starts with an I before it. I mean, uh, you know, where do you where does it start? Where does it stop with with them? With with a name, I mean, they. Yeah. I'm sure they can come up with some other creative name for it, but in the in the end, you know, if they really want it, Apple's going to get it somehow or the other. I mean, Crestron, you know, it, it's a it's a private company, and they'll go through battle for it, but they're only going to go so far with it. I don't know how well this product itself has sold. Yeah, and that may be. For, it. I mean, because I, I I personally don't use it. I mean, in in commercial environment where I work in every day the um, we don't use it because it can't this panel can't lock into a, a wall basically yeah. you know it's 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 freestanding and uh, it's mostly I think more for the the home market which I know a lot of people in the home market that don't that don't want any buttons or anything that people want to just walk around with their iPads just as it is mm-hmm. so I don't know if Crestron is going to put up much fight for it <laughs> But, you know, and I don't mean it to sound like they're going to fight for it, because, like I said, they they're they're happy with Apple. They love Apple, you know, so it's almost like they're like it's almost like Jason's asking, you know, it's kind of like a call from from uh, from Tim Cook to 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 Randy. He's like, uh, hey, Randy, can we have that name? And you're like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, what the heck? We like. Do you, <laughs> do you think they really do love Apple? I mean, I don't see that see, um, I where do, they're... I get that sense. I, I guess I do. I think they're more Microsoft personally, but that's I, what I see. I mean, because they they do a lot of you know, a lot of work with Microsoft, and a lot of their products are are formed around that whole ecosystem. And Apple's kind of like it's a big player out there, and they have to work with them type of thing. So they make it seem like a nice little relationship. But, but I think overall, I think they're, you know, they're not really in that you know lovey dovey state between between the two. Hmm. Well, and, and not, call not me I, crazy, but Apple products have hurt Crestron's panel sales. Oh, you're but crazy. Not, not that I know anything about this, gentlemen. But, <laughs> uh, it was not nearly as cozy as one would wonder, and there was a time when it was. The the standard answer in tech support was, you know, we're a PC-based, Windows-based uh, system. Sorry. If you find a way to work, great. You know, we'll maybe we'll have somebody in advanced technical support who can help you figure some of that stuff out for special projects. But it became similar to what you've seen anything else. The market showed that it wanted it, and eventually there was a capitulation, my words, not theirs, uh, to say, you know what, we need to develop this, especially when a lot of in-house people were actually working on solutions. Um, so there's a semi-cozy relationship, although I have to argue the fact that I don't know if it really is affecting – their product sales in any way that you've intimated. I mean, the days of them being a strict, strictly touch panel company are long gone. Mm, and while true. there are yeah. very interesting devices that they put out, some of them just completely esoteric, you know, pre pre-programming are the cost of a Yugo or a, a Fiat. Wow. <laughs> um, no. You know, right. But, but well, no, I mean, there's a market for that. Just like there are for 70 inch, you know, plasma backlit color screen thingies. Uh, technical term that, um, <laughs> you know, th- th- he has that, that copyrighted, by the way. Yes, um, <laughs> thingy. Um, but you know, th- that there was that sort of progressive. Yes, we need to do this. Yes, there has to be this. You know what? There, there is a market saying we need it. Let's do it. And to their credit, hey, we want to do everything within our own environment. Keep it very Apple-like. Keep it sol- solid. Keep things working right. Minimize the uh, amount of outside support or outside knowledge one really needs to get the system work and supported. There was a the market has spoken. Let's move on. 
Um, yeah. As to them owning the iPanel name, they own the uh, the name. So there was a name, I believe, that was hoisted up there at one point, and Apple said, "No, <laughs> you can't have that." And that name came in. They, that name was found to be available, and it's trademarked. Huh. Um, well, so. Yeah. You know, as anything else, it's intellectual property. So if somebody like Apple wants it big enough, it's. I think it really is a matter of, well, let's go talk. Well, and, and how, you know, much, not, how much money is going to be? Well, they kind of, and, and this is, this was, this came out. I don't know, a couple months ago. I, I read this piece on how they got the iPad name, and it was a sneaky little backdoor, you know, shell company, this, that, and the other. So yeah, George is right. If they want it bad enough, they'll they'll, if if they want it bad enough, they'll probably get it. So. Yeah, without strong arming, I bet it'll be a negotiation. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a friendly. I mean, look, look how much flack Apple took for the iPad name when it was first announced, mm-hmm. uh, and we've all just come to terms with saying, "Oh, yeah, okay." Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um, a couple of things, real quick, guys, before before I cut you loose. One, um, it, it, you you guys are all not heavily involved because you guys have different levels of involvement in in the make and the maker uh, fair, you know, groups. Uh, ben, we'll start with you because yeah, actually the, this 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 website came from you, and that's the EV Challenge. Um, and kind of tell us kind of what it's about and, and and how people can get involved. Um, it, it's basically you know here here's the the, the elevator pitch as it were. Uh, kids getting involved in 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 doing uh, electric cars is that kind of kind of fair? Yeah, it's it's it was started back in around ninety five ninety six actually, but it's it's gaining more traction more recently. The idea is, is you know, you've got traditional auto mechanics classes in high school, and this replaces that or augments that by taking a gasoline vehicle and you convert it into an electric vehicle. So you remove the engine and any components that relate to the gasoline functioning of the car, and then you replace that with a DC motor and batteries and controllers. And along the way, you learn electronics and you learn... Uh, batteries and you learn charging systems and other things and then at the end of the year the the way the EV challenge works they have an event where participants from the various high schools involved come to Garysburg North Carolina there's a test track there that's been built called NC car uh, and basically it's a NASCAR certified test track and it's halfway up and down I-95 uh, for the nation, so they they attract a lot of people that do testing. You know, auto auto companies come and test new designs there. So the kids come out and they do written tests, they do oral tests, they do troubleshooting. They have to present their vehicle and explain how they designed it and how they made it work. And then it it culminates with a race. They do uh, an endurance test, so they run the cars until the batteries fail and see which car lasted the longest, went the furthest miles on the track. They do uh, an acceleration test, uh, which is actually first because they start off with fresh batteries, so they see how quickly they can accelerate. And then the next day they do an actual race, which involves all of the strategy, you know, different battery types. Some batteries are, if you use 9-volt batteries, for example, they have more endurance but less acceleration. So they're not going to pass a lot of people, but their goal is to stay in it for the whole time. And Whereas if you have higher voltage batteries, you might also weigh more. And so there's all kinds of strategy involved in the race beyond just it being fun and seeing who was first. And I was really taken aback by the program in talking to the kids involved, you know, high school students that were highly 
motivated and highly engaged in what they were doing, looking forward to moving on to the next step, going to technical school, going to college, getting involved in engineering. And I just think it's a wonderful thing. One high school that came and exhibited, we talked about this on the the last DIY show, they came and exhibited their car at our Maker Fair in Burlington. Uh, the car is called the Electric Fox. It's a Mustang. And they found it abandoned in the woods. And so they brought it in, verified it was abandoned, and then stripped it down and rebuilt it. And it's just what a great story, right? Somebody abandoned a Mustang. That just is illegal. At least it should be. Uh, but no, it it is a cool thing, and I, I think that here's something that that because I, I'm a big proponent of education, the fact that they've got 11 high schools, and and the one thing I wish the website had, and I can't fi- I can't find it to save my life, is how as how to sign up my local high school is how to get high schools involved in this. Well, um, they're working on their site right now. Okay. I think they're sort of there's a several links that aren't up and running at the moment, and it looks like they're changing some graphics over. So. I think they're in the process because they are a nonprofit organization um, coordinating this. But uh, you can contact on one of the pages. The man's name is Eric Ryan, mm-hmm. and I know his contact information is on the site. You can contact him and get all the information you'd like because it would be great. You know, you can participate by getting your local high school to get involved. And like with a lot of things, it's really down to finding a teacher that is dynamic and willing to do this because – because there, you know, there's a lot of investment of time. If you sort of do the old-fashioned auto mechanics class, there's a lot to learn to catch you up on electric vehicles and feel safe teaching it, and convince your administration to put some funding behind it, and all those kind of things. But oftentimes, you know, that's the case. You can also, if you want to be involved, if you have an old junker car of any kind and want to donate it, you can donate it, and they will convert it. Because really, they're just looking for a chassis and wheels and a transmission that will work and the rest they can do. And uh, so, you know, and, and you can work as a mentor. You can find schools that are involved and you can go talk to them or help them out or help them with fundraising. They, there's also a social media component that they get judged on in terms of how well they communicate green energy concepts to the public and get people excited about electric vehicles. So you can help you know, folks get involved in that. In doing that, yeah. All right. Well, guys, I think that is uh, that is all the time we have. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, like I said, this is uh, this is the special DIY version of AV Week. Uh, everybody that you've listened to here, with the exception of of me and my, my sorry, but uh, is is on the DIY show on a monthly basis. Usually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the second or third Wednesday of the month, depending on on their schedule. Uh, with us is one of the hosts is George Tucker. He is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. People, uh, how can uh, folks get a hold of you, George? Uh, Tucker Twos on Twitter is the best way. Tucker Twos. Uh, ben Harris has also been with us. He is the chief inventor at Harris Education. Uh, what is your website, sir? Uh, well, I'm going to point you to my fan page on Facebook. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, it's just uh, Harris Educational, all one word. So go to facebook.com slash Harris Educational. Harris Educational. And you can message us through that page. Okay. Uh, RJ, RJ operates uh, the website DIYLightAnimation.com. Thank you so much, sir. You, thank you for having me, guys. Uh, the only master question programmer I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> I'm just going to give you crap about that from now on. Mr. Mike Francis, thank you so much. Do you have a website or a, a Twitter or something? 
Uh, still trying to find a, a good website name, but for right now, on Twitter, StormyMK, uh, or Google+. Plus. You can find me on there, too. Google+, Plus as well. Uh, and also, Anthony Zotti, our, uh, our residential AV guy, also our, resi, uh, our residential uh, Linux guy and Apple hater. Thank you so much, sir. <laughs> Thank you. What is your, what, uh, what is your What is your Twitter? Uh, Twitter is Tony No One. You could also, if you're not averse to the F word, find me at Anthony Zotti on Google+. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's not just an expletive. It's an adjective. It's an, <laughs> it's an adjective. <laughs> it's a noun. noun. <laughs> it's a pronoun. <laughs> it's the entire sentence and paragraph all on its own. So I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, my name is Tim. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to follow me in my ramblings, uh, it is TD Tim David Albright at uh, on, on on Twitter, uh, TD Albright on Twitter or uh, anything else. Uh, but more importantly, for me and everybody else here, please go to the website and find this show uh, or the DIY show or the other shows that we do. Uh, you'll also find all sorts of other information. Uh, go to ravepubs.com forward slash avnation ravepubs.com forward slash avnation thank you so much for joining us that's all the time we have for av week <laughs> <laughs>